how many of you watched the NBA Finals um, for game one? How, how many of you? Okay, this is going to go great. About eight of you. Good. Excellent. <laughs> well, anyway, I had a cool story, but forget it now. Not too many NBA fans. What are you going to do? It's not football season, right? Alabama and Auburn aren't playing right now. You've got to do something. So uh, if you watch game one of the Finals, you know it was a really, really, really bad day for the Cavs. Sorry if you're a LeBron James or a Cavs fan. So, so, because most of you didn't see it, I have to give you a little bit of this before uh, I say anything else or you won't get it. So, there's this point in the game. The game's tied. It looks like, even though he's denying it, that one of the Cavs players thought they were winning. So, they get the rebound off the rim. They've got the lead, he thinks. And now they got the ball. And there's four seconds left. So, he just runs away with the ball, you know, to win the game. Only problem is, he was wrong, and the game was tied. And it went into overtime, and they got demolished. And LeBron, oh yeah, you're so sad for them. And LeBron James says, it's one of the greatest losses in his career. However, as you might suspect, uh, when something like that happens, it's a prime opportunity for someone to make a video that we would call viral. A video that kind of makes fun of the situation that goes viral because it just does. So I brought the video, and I just want you to see it, and hopefully it'll make sense to more than eight of you. But go, go ahead and play that. Big free throws here. He's straight from the park. Here we go. Rebound goes the to the Cavs. J.R. Smith out. brings it back out. We're going to win the George game. Hill misses the free throw. You're going to tie game. the game. J.R. Smith oh, brings it, it out. Oh, I got it. I got it. The shot in time. <laughs> LeBron James <laughs> wondering about Smith. Great job from Smith to get the <laughs> rebound, but dribble it away. <laughs> there he goes. Watch James. He's going to make sure they win. Now one of the timeout. All right, to get it. So, so that video went viral, right? That video went viral. What, what is a viral video? A viral video is a video that is uh, shared a lot, viewed a lot, and moves fast. And that's the reason that we've called our summer series viral, because uh, the book of, we're studying the book of Acts, and the book of Acts covers about 30 years of church history, and in those 30 years, the, the intensity by which the gospel moved through those 30 years is absolutely unbelievable. In just over 30 years, the gospel went to 32 countries, 54 cities, and 9 islands. Incredible. No electricity, no technology, no planes, no trains, no buses, nothing like that. Boats, feet, you know, camels, donkeys, whatever. And it's spread all over the place. Now, Acts chapter 3, we're in today. If you're reading through the book of Acts with us, I, I encourage you to do that. I hope you are. We're going to look at Acts chapter 3 today. We take about a chapter a week. Uh, pick up with me at verse 1, and, uh, and, and we'll, we'll look at what's going on at this viral spread of the gospel. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. So this was a, a, a ritual that Jews did. They would come to the temple uh, regularly, twice a day, I think, and they would pray. About 3 in the afternoon, now a man who was lame from birth was being carried. So here's, here's the thing you need to know. 
This man is lame from birth. So 21st century vernacular. These guys are on their way to church. On their way to church, they pass the BP down here. It's Exxon now. They whip into the Exxon. They're almost at Kingwood. And they see a guy who's lame from birth. Listen, this guy was not on his way to church and just got muscle cramps and needs a Gatorade. This guy has never walked in his life. He doesn't even know how. He was born crippled and he's lived crippled his entire life. This is, this is incredible. So a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. So they had to pick him up and somebody had to set him down there. Couldn't even get there on his own. No wheelchair. Where he was put every day to beg for, from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. That was his job. His job was to beg. Verse 4. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. In other words, this is what I do. I'm a beggar. I beg. You got my attention. That must mean you got something for me. He's thinking a transaction's about to take place. Verse 6. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. But what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Now, if you'll just, we're going to read to about verse 20 before the morning's over. If you'll just leave your Bible open, if you have it open to Acts 3, uh, we'll, we'll pick back there. But let's look at this phrase. What I do have, I give to you. As Christians, sometimes we come into situations where we just don't have any answers. We have a friend, we have a, um, a family member, we have a co-worker, a neighbor going through something terrible, and, and we don't have any answers. We don't, we don't, we don't uh, appear to have what they need. L ladies, how many of you have a girlfriend right now you know who's going through something and, and you don't have I would say that to guys, but guys don't have friends. But girls, you have friends, right? So you know. How many of you have a friend right now going through something, and if you're honest, you don't have an answer? Most of us have known someone going through something, and we, and we just don't have an answer. We just don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. So what do we do? We, we avoid them because it's uncomfortable. Because we feel the tension when we're around them that they have this unresolvable problem and we know we don't have the answer. We don't know what to say or to do. So we just avoid them or we talk to them about like the weather and whatever and the schedule and what's coming up next and the game and we just avoid the subject because we don't know what to say. Notice what Peter did. He doesn't have all the answers, but he does have Jesus. So what does he do? He gives the man what he has. Now maybe your best friend is you know, losing their house and you say, look, I can barely pay my own mortgage. I can't help them, I can't help them pay their mortgage. Or, or maybe you have a friend who's battling with a terrible sickness and you say, I, I'm not a doctor, I don't have the cure, I, I, I can't make miracles happen. So what do you do? You give them what you do have. We focus so often on what we don't have that we don't realize what we do have. So when I was in college, um, I was being trained, you know, I was going to Bible school, and people know that, 
And so it's funny, people think when you go off to Bible school, even like for a semester, something magic happens to you, and you have all the answers now. It's amazing. You know, go, oh, well, you're in Bible college, ask him, you know. He probably knows all about this. You're like, bro, like I've took so far math and English comp one, you know. I don't even know what you're talking about. Well, you're called. So I had this um, relative, my, my dad's sister, my aunt, she was really, really sick, and um, they weren't sure. She was non-responsive. She was in ICU and non-responsive and had been out. I don't even remember what was wrong with her. And they didn't know, you know, she's on the edge. Is she going to survive or not? Nobody knows. And so I came home from college one break, whatever, and they said, hey, would you go pray for her? And I thought, yes, <laughs> but I don't think I've taken that class yet. How does that work? Because I got nothing. And I was thinking, but look, most of my family is not saved. My dad's not saved. My sister. My, I, I, I don't even know anybody on my dad's side of the family for generations. You have to go back to my great-great-grandfather, the last person I know on that side of the family that's Christian. And it's a large family. Dozens and dozens of people. You get a hundred people together in a reunion if you wanted to. And I didn't know one Christian. And I thought, I got to go. So I went in there, and it was so intimidating to me because I thought, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not ready for this. I don't know what to do. We should call somebody that knows what to do. <laughs> and I go in there, and I look at my aunt laying in the bed, and she's, she's completely out. And I just feel so helpless. I think, you know, I'm not a doctor. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't even know how to pray. And so I go in there and I reach over and I touch her and I just pray for her. I don't even remember exactly what I prayed. Jesus, you have all the power on earth and you have the ability to touch my aunt. And I just pray today that you would, you would speak to her and heal her and, and um, raise her up in health and life, whatever it was, in Jesus' name. And nothing happened, and I walked out of the room, and I thought, whew, you know, I don't know. Is my family expecting something to happen because I'm called to ministry? I don't know what's going on now. But you know what's interesting? And I don't remember the time frames. I'll get the details wrong, but the, but the facts don't change. Um, it, it, within two or three days, she woke up. And she started to recover. And, and she recovered well and lived for several years after that. And she said when she woke up, she said, the only thing I can remember from the time that I was out is hearing when I came in the room. She remembers when I came in the room. She said, I remember when you came in the room, I heard your voice, I heard you pray, and I started to wake up. That's what she said. And remember what I said, none of that family was saved or nothing. She and my uncle started to kind of secretly sneak off and go to church. <laughs> and when, when she died, years later, she eventually passed. When she died, she had her funeral at her church. And we didn't, we, our family wasn't real well connected, so I don't know the whole story, but I know there were some external signs that were very, very encouraging about her life. So what do you have? You have two things. You have prayer, and you have your presence. 
You can pray for people and you can give them the gift of your presence. Can I tell you, in some of the darkest and most overwhelming and discouraging times of my life, one of the greatest gifts people have ever given me is just their presence. Oftentimes when people are overwhelmed, they, don't, they can't even hear advice. You might have the best advice. You might have the right advice. But they can't even hear because they're overwhelmed and their brains are locked. But when you give the gift of your presence, you communicate something that words could never say. And that is this. You're not alone. You may be going through something bad, but you are not by yourself. And can I tell you one of the worst things you can ever feel when you're going through a hard time is that you're all by yourself. And so you, what do you have? You have prayer and you have your presence. And as you're praying for them or by yourself for them or praying physically for them, and as you're present, the Holy Spirit may also give you something tangible to do or to say or to give or whatever. But the Holy Spirit will let you know what to do beyond that. But you know in every situation you have two things. You have prayer and you have your presence. And every believer in the room has those two things. Give what you have. Verse 7. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Look at this. In other words, he said walk. It's a very unkind thing to tell a man that's crippled from birth to walk. Walk. What do you mean walk? Oh, I never thought of that. I'd have done that years ago. What do you mean walk? Apparently he didn't get up. So Peter grabs him by the arm and stands him up. I said, get up. He helped him up. Instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he, he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. But look, you remember when your if those of you who have kids, you remember when your children first learned how to walk, you know, they're like, they're like walking like Frankenstein, you know, like this, because their legs hadn't really been used for it, and you're like, they're going to hit their head on everything. Well, this isn't a little baby that's got a foot to fall. This is a grown man who's never walked. He doesn't know how in his brain to walk. Yet he stands up and he's jumping and walking and leaping and praising. LeBron James and the Cavs could have used this guy the other night. This would have been very helpful. Furthermore, this guy's never been to church. He's a beggar who's been at the gate. Now he's in there with them. Can you imagine the commotion? This guy just sits outside the Exxon every week. Next thing you know, you come and he's standing right here going, woo-hoo-hoo, woo-hoo! And you're thinking, what has happened to him? That's what happened. He's never walked before. Look at verse 9. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened. You think? They were shocked. These people saw him every day. They knew who he was. They knew how big a miracle it was. Now, this morning, I want to speak for a few minutes to two different categories of people. I want to I speak to those of you who do not have a real relationship with Jesus. Now, that's not most of you, but it probably is a few of you. And then I want to say a few things to those of you who do 
have a real relationship with you. So for those of you who do not, maybe you're a guest, maybe you're new, maybe you just got drug here by somebody, maybe, maybe you've been in church a long time, but, but you don't have a real relationship with Jesus, whatever. What does Jesus want to do for you? Here's what Jesus wants to do for you. Jesus wants to save your soul from the coming judgment. Because the Bible teaches us when this world ends, each one of us individually will face God and we will face Him as our judge. And God wants to save you. Jesus wants to save you from the coming judgment. Um, I'm sure you'll remember the mass shooting that happened in, at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando. Our family happened to be on vacation at the time, uh, in Orlando at the time that it happened. And it, it's, it's so uh, strange, you know, all of that went down, and the next day we woke up, and people who knew we were in Orlando started to text us, you know, are you okay, are you guys all right, you know? And, and uh, fortunately, we weren't at the nightclub when the shooting started. We had left a couple hours before that. We were hanging out. I, I, I don't know what anybody thought that, you know, a gay club at 2 a.m. would somehow fit the profile of our family. Like, no, we're good. We're good. It's okay. I just woke up about 10.30. I slept in. You know, I don't even know what's going on. I got people checking on me. No, we're all right. I promise. Not, not sure how they connected those dots. Not sure what I, vibe I've been giving off, you know, but um, made me really rethink a lot of things. But, but the thing is here, this was an act of pure evil. It was darkness on display for all the world to see, and when something that evil happens... Even people who aren't saved start to say the same thing. Where's God? Where's God? You know, it's, it's not like God didn't shoot anybody. He, he wasn't holding the gun. But people start to ask, you know, where's God? And, and we want the ability to make all our own decisions and to have all our options open. And the American dream is to be in total control of your own life and not need anything from anyone and we want all of that until something goes wrong, and then we want to know where God is. God didn't mess the world up. Read the Bible. He made it perfect, and then he put us here. And ever since then, it's been downhill. See, God is going to judge every one of us one day for the sin in our lives and, and what we have done to his creation. Each one of us is directly accountable to God for our own sin. And sometimes people say, how could God judge people? You know, he's so harsh and unreasonable. I can't serve a God like that. Here's the beauty of the gospel message. God has sent his son Jesus to pay for all of our sins so we don't have to. And all you have to do to avoid God's judgment is offer God a sincere apology for your sin and ask him to help you become more like Jesus. That's it. Well, that doesn't sound harsh. That sounds merciful. It sounds gracious. And not only does God want to save your soul, God wants to touch you 
Now Jesus has the power to change you today. Like my aunt that I prayed for who knew nothing that was going on around her. But God's power filled that hospital room and changed her physical body so that her soul might be changed. And I believe today she's in heaven. Now, I'm not saying this always happens, but it doesn't happen unless we ask. Jesus wants to change your life. Some of you are going through a dark time. In your deepest darkness, Jesus will shine the brightest, and he has the power to change your life today. Can I tell you, when Jesus came into my life, he changed everything about my life. He changed the way I think. He changed my values. He changed my priorities. He changed the way I think about relationships and marriage. He changed the way I parent. He changed the way I handle money. He changes everything about your life. And God wants to change every area of your life, but he's not going to do that unless you tell him you're sorry because God is in the business of blessing his people, which you've got to decide is if you want to be one of his people. So now let me talk for a few minutes to those of you who do, most of you, who do have a real relationship with Jesus. Jesus has saved you and he's changed you. And he's given you new life. And what should your response to that be? Verse 11. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. So in other words... This healing, this miracle, has stirred up the crowd. And now they're looking for somebody to explain to them what just happened. And so they all surround Peter and John. Verse 12. When Peter saw this, circle that. That that is a critical thought in this entire uh, event. When Peter saw this. Let me read it to you out of the uh, New Living Translation. It says it this way. Peter saw his opportunity. That's an interesting word. That's what Mickey, you and I were talking about earlier. Prayer walks. What are you looking for? Your opportunity. Opportunity. Most Christians never talk about Jesus, but a few Christians talk about Jesus too much. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Most Christians are silent. Some Christians are annoying. You shouldn't be either. You know, some of you say, hey, those are cute shoes. Yeah, Jesus told me to buy them. Let me tell you about Jesus. He has a wonderful plan for your life. You're like, apparently i got to go to the Galleria because that's where Jesus lives. If you think every conversation is somehow directly related to Jesus, you're wrong and you're going to turn people away from Jesus in mass numbers. On the other hand, some of us claim to follow Jesus, but we've never talked to anyone about him. If you talk to everyone about Jesus, you're going to drive people away. If you talk to no one about Jesus, you're going to ignore the Holy Spirit. Now the question I've got is, which one are you? Are you the one that talks too much? Are you the one that never talks at all? For God to save someone's soul, two things have to be present. One is, God's Spirit must 
be working. That's why I was so taken back by the interview with Nikki and what she's saying is we can go, we can preach, we can plant churches, we can do all of this, but if God's power is not ripping the veil off the blind eyes and opening deaf ears, nothing's going to happen. And that's not true in Thailand, that's true everywhere. We're not going to ever be slicker, sharper, cool enough to bring people to faith in Jesus. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit working. And so two things have to be present. God's Spirit must be working. Without His Spirit working, nothing's going to change. But the second thing that needs to be present is you have to be talking about Jesus. Those two things come together. What happened in this story? Did Peter heal this lame man? No. God's Spirit healed the lame man. But Peter sees an opportunity and he starts talking. Look at verse 12 again. Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we made this man walk by our own power or godliness? See, many of you don't pray for people because you, you do the same thing that I did when they asked me to go to the hospital and pray for my aunt. You go, I got nothing. Jesus knows you got nothing. He knows. It's his power. Amazing things can happen if we see the opportunity and take it. You and I have not been given authority by God to create opportunities. That's where we mess up. It's not our job to create opportunities. It is our job to see them when God makes them and step through that door. And that's what we do. I, I want to tell you a story that um, I really don't want to tell you. Because it's, it's embarrassing and it's painful to me. And it's, one of the, it's just a very, very painful story. But I think it's an important story to understand this point. When I was young, you have to cut me a little slack because I was really, really, really young. Just starting in ministry. Stacy and I, we didn't have any kids. We were on our way out of town and I just got on the road, you know, got everything packed. It's, we were running late. We were supposed to be in another state. You know, we're not going to make it. And of course I look and I go, we're almost out of gas. Of course we're almost out of gas now. So I pull over to the gas station, I get the gas. This is before you could just zip your card, you know, and I go in. How many of you remember when you have to walk indoors to pay for gas? Remember that? Yeah. It's incredibly, it's like persecution. I mean, it's terrible. So I had to go in. I go in there, and there's this young girl behind the counter. And she, and she looks up at me, and she's practically, like I could see something. So I said, are you okay? And, and she said, um... I lost my baby. I lost my baby. A and she starts crying. And I, look, and, I, and I look at her and I said, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry. And I, and I paid for the gas and I left. And as I drove up the road that day, I'll never forget the terrible feelings I felt when I went, God, my life's not about getting gas and being on time at the next state. My life's about the opportunities you put in front of me. And I cried as I drove up the road and I repented and I said, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I let you down and I'm so sorry that I missed that opportunity. 
and I'm so sorry. God, forgive me. I don't, I don't, even, I don't even qualify to be in ministry. What is, what is ministry? What is it about? It's about people. It's about people's hearts and their lives. And I thought, I wonder what miracle might have been in store that day. And who knows, God's faithful enough. He'll just bring somebody else, maybe, hopefully. Maybe another Christian will come along. I don't know. But it, but it is, it is a, I've grieved. I've grieved throughout my life over that moment. Because it was a divine appointment. There was a door open. I couldn't open it, but it opened. And I didn't walk through it. So, so what are we saying? That every time we pray, a miracle's going to happen? No. But I am saying it's probably not going to happen if you don't pray. And so you have to see the opportunity. Pray over the difficult situations in your life. Pray over the difficult situations and those around you. Ask God to work in your life. God is in the business of doing miracles for His children who ask. Verse 16. So Peter answers the question. Through faith in the name of Jesus. You want to know how this happened? Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Watch this. It is the faith of Peter and John that healed the lame man. It's not the lame man's faith. It's Peter and John's faith. Some of you are married uh, to an unsafe spouse. Some of you, your spouse has drifted away from God. Some of you have adult children or, or teenagers that have drifted away from God. And I just want to encourage you today, God can use your faith to do a miracle in their life, whether they have faith or not. So I want to encourage you to, to hold on. How many of you would say at some point in your life, you were an, an, an atheist or an agnostic. Is there anybody that would say that? At some, well, just hold it up. Hold it up. At some point in your life, you were an atheist or an agnostic. Look. Look around the room. Look around the room. Five, five or six. I'm willing to bet you that somebody had faith that you would come to Jesus, and they didn't give up on you, and they prayed for you, and they reached out to you. And I want to encourage those of you who have someone close to you, and it becomes very discouraging sometimes, but your faith can work miracles in their life. So don't give up. Don't give up and ask God to show you the opportunities. Verse 17. Friends, we skipped a little bit. I realize that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. This is where he just like basically tattooed their face to the wall and said, well, let me tell you how it happened. It happened through the power of Jesus, you know, the guy you killed. That's basically what he told them. Now he's going to have a little more grace. He hadn't been to Bible college yet. So he still, you know, kind of has some rough edges. He's a fisherman. Give him some break. I realize that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance, so cut you some slack. But God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. Watch 19. Now repent of your sins and turn to God. Watch. So that your sins may be wiped away. God wants to wipe your sins away. 
Then times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. Time, notice that times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord come after repentance. Notice that. What, what if you've already repented? What if you already have a growing relationship with Jesus? Then renewal is going to come to you after you bring other people to repentance. Because God has given you the message of Jesus Christ. He's given you the opportunity to share. He's opened doors for you to connect with people that he loves and wants to know, like the lady in Thailand. He's given you those opportunities, and you will find your faith will be renewed and refreshed as other people come to repentance and faith. Over the last two years, God has done a wonderful, wonderful work of renewal in our church. But the next wave of renewal is going to come when we bring lost people and people who have drifted far from God to repentance. And it will be the strongest wave of renewal yet. But it will not come if we sit and pray and wait. We have to pray and go. When we see a growing number of people having their lives changed, it's another season of renewal that's come through. So let me challenge you as we wrap up this morning to do three things. Number one, get as close to Jesus as you can. The reason most people don't share about Jesus is because we think we don't know enough. You're like me going into that hospital room. I, 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 I hadn't had that class yet. I'm not trained. I don't know. I don't know what I would say. I don't know what I'd do. Get as close to Jesus as you can. You know why? It's hard to talk about a stranger. But it's easier to talk about a friend. Learn all you can about Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Learn Jesus. Learn his ways. Get close to him. And you will find your conversation about him will be much more natural. Number two, look for opportunities to share about Jesus. Jesus is going to put you in places that you and only you can lead some people to Jesus. And they won't know if you don't share. And let me tell you, in our times, in our culture, one of the easiest ways to reach out is prayer. Nearly, nearly anybody will accept prayer. Almost anybody will accept prayer. And so you can do things like say, hey, I've been, I've been, I know you're going through our time, I've been praying for you. It could be a comment. It could be like, like what I wish I would have done in that gas station. When that girl looked at me and said, I lost my baby, I wish like anything I'd have said, right in the middle of the gas station, can I, can I pray for you right now? I think God would have, I think he would have used it. Prayer. And praying for people when they don't even know you're praying for them. Hey, by the way, it still works. Number three, ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom and how you share about Jesus because the way that you share about Jesus in Thailand and the way you share about Jesus in Boston and the way you share about Jesus in Shelby County and the way you share about Jesus with this personality type and that personality type and, and this guy and this lady and this relative and this stranger and this person I know really close is all very different same Jesus, same message, same power, same faith.
totally different approach. How are you going to know which one to take? The Holy Spirit will tell you. But you have to ask. When you sense, I think the door opened, you begin to pray, God, what do I do? Help me know how, because I don't know how. And, and the Holy Spirit will help you. As we pray this morning, would you, would you just stand with me? And I want to ask our prayer team to come. Every eye closed. If you just close your eyes and open your heart. Some of you this morning are going through a really dark time. And I've been praying for you this morning. We've been agreeing. A couple of our intercessors have been agreeing over you. That, that God's light would invade your darkness. Maybe you've gotten bad news. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're in a dark time. What does God want to do for you? God wants to touch you today. And he probably won't if you don't ask. And so I'm just asking you before we leave today, in a moment, would you come to one of the prayer team and say, man, this is a tough season. People are talking about vacation and having fun and all this, and you can't even think about it because your life just rocked right now. God wants to touch you today. Maybe you're here today and you say, I'm stirred this morning and I want to ask God to help me see the opportunities that he's put in my life to share Jesus because this county, this community needs Jesus more than ever. Maybe you say, um, I've got an unsaved friend or family member that I'm burdened over today. Your faith can produce miracles in their life. And I want to encourage you, if that's true, I want to encourage you to come and let one of the prayer team, where two or three or more are gathered in my name, I want you to come to a prayer team member and say, agree with me today over my friend, my parent, my spouse, that God's going to do a miracle in them today. And there's some of you in the room that you say, you know what? It's time for me to tell God I'm sorry. It's time for me to tell God I'm sorry for my sin. And it's time for me to come into a relationship with Jesus. And so with every eye closed in the room, if, if any of those apply to you, I want you just to come right now. I don't want you to wait. I don't want you to hesitate. Don't think about it. I want you to come right now, and I want you to let the uh, prayer team begin to pray for you. Lord, we thank you today for the power of God that is at work in this room. We thank you that you are changing lives. We thank you that you are changing this city. We thank you, Lord, that you are you are not abandoning us in these dark hours. You're not abandoning those in this congregation that are suffering and struggling this morning. But Lord, you've come that your power might be on display, that you might change hearts and change lives and change the circumstances of our life. So Lord, as we pray this morning, I'm asking you to fill this place with your power today. So as the worship team begins to sing, I want you to come now. I want you to come now. You need to pray any of these things, I want you to come. Come right now. Come on, worship me. Jesus.